Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day, there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we're going to have so much fun because we're talking to somebody from over the pond. I love that saying, you know, like the the ocean is a pond, right? Um, But we're going to have so much fun today talking with my guest. And this is going to be very important for people who are interested or may have already started your own business and are kind of wondering, am I doing it right? Um, So we're really going to have a great time today talking with Sophie Thien. So welcome, Sophie. How are you doing today? I am good. I am well. Um, I'm super excited to be here, to be honest. I know it's going to be, you know, quite juicy in terms of the content. We've got tons to talk about, but really just want to get the message out there. I love it. I love it. Well, let me tell people a little about you and then we will jump in. So Sophie Thien is an award-winning human resources and diversity and inclusion professional and author of the new book, The Soul of Startups, The Untold Stories of How Founders Affect Culture. From being featured on the Women in Fintech Power List, holy schmoly, since 2017, and the first HR professional to win the standout spot, she is also widely recognized in Europe for her innovative influence on how human resources works in technology companies and startups. She now works with companies around the world as an advisor and lives with her family, as I said, in London. So again, (laughs) Sophie, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, I always love to know a little bit about how it is that our guests got to where they are today. So tell us a little bit more about how you discovered that this is your passion in life. Sure, sure. So um, like every passion, it kind of always um, happened accidentally, for sure. You kind of stumble across one thing after another and then eventually realize that, oh, maybe this is the reason I was put on here to do this and and where I really found my passion. So um, I started off um, as an engineer and I wasn't a very successful one, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I didn't find a lot of joy doing that piece of work. And I kind of felt like it wasn't the career I could imagine myself doing for the next 50, 60 years or however long now that requires you to retire. But um, one thing leads to another. I got really lucky um, that I've met a startup. And that was kind of like the first time I was in a startup Mm -hmm. space. And it was a company of three, four people. We were doing Mm -hmm. recruitment for automotive engineers and And I just realized that, you know, I could easily do a people piece of work plus being surrounded by kind of like the people who I went to school with or went to university with and really kind of share that passion and finally realize that there is a way that I can find a career that crosses these two things. Right. And so fast forward a good um, decade later, I have been working for startups, corporate, working in both the talent and the HR space and eventually Mm -hmm. kind of carved out a really nice, I want to say it's a niche area where I can really utilize my 
very heavily structured mindset mm-hmm. and apply like that concept. engineering brain. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. I never really thought I would be grateful for it, but of course I am right now. It, it really makes up to who I am at the moment. And I think, and I think finally I kind of carved out a really good space where I can do advisory on, you know, the industry that I'm so passionate mm-hmm. about early stage startups, tech startups, mm-hmm. especially just working with great founders and CEOs who just want to build great companies. So this is how it kind of like came together. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm really lucky in a space that I do right now. Right. I love it. You know, and it's, it's always interesting because when someone starts their own business, they have a multitude of reasons why, right? <laughs> you know, um, sometimes they got laid off. Sometimes they got, you know, they graduated from school. Sometimes there's a pandemic and they think, hey, I want to do something different. For sure. You know, and and they all, let's be honest, they want to make it profitable. <laughs> you know, we don't want to go into it and not make money, but we also usually have that passion for whatever it is. You know, we want to. You know, I hate to be cliche, but we want to make the world a better place while we're making some money at it. Um, But I think so many business owners and Mm. founders don't understand everything that it takes. Um, You know, they've got that passion, but they don't know how to, let's be honest, manage people. Um, They might have been managed or they might have been, you you know, highly successful in their other careers. But to actually be that boss is mm. often a challenge, um, you know, and, and so talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. I think you've touched a really good point there. I think I think first things first, I would definitely want to point out that not every founder or entrepreneur needs to have it all figured out already. Like you said, you know, you may have just it's come It's not going to be perfect, folks. Exactly, exactly. But I think the one thing throughout my career and my experience I've learned, and it's also um, the last, the very last chapter of my book is really just to give back the credibility and the gratitude to founders who are really trying their very best to make it, to make, to, to create great businesses, right? And to build these sustainable cultures for people to really get a lot of joy out of working for them, if not the company. And I think, and I think the main thing here to point out is you don't have to have all the answers, right? And the most important thing on top of that is to be willing to just raise your hand and ask a question when mm-hmm. you don't have the answer right. to it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of founders right now or entrepreneurs, they just simply think that to be a founder or to be the, the person who manages it all it needs to be a superhero. And right. there's you have to know that. everything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. And I think that's, that's the issue we have right now. Right. You know, and, and of course, you know, at the very start, usually you're by yourself, you know, and, and so you do kind of have to know it all or, you have to be smart enough to know who to reach out to, sure. um, you know, and, and so, but then once you get employees, that's where things get really tricky. And I loved reading your book, which is again called The Soul of Startups, The Untold Stories of How Founders Affect Culture, because what you've got in your book are examples of different personality types that founders have. And, you know, as we said, you know, they, they want to make a difference. They don't want their employees to be miserable. They certainly don't want to be firing, rehiring, firing, rehiring, all those things. We're going to talk a little bit about Twitter, <laughs> um, but right. The biggest example in the world right now that's going on, but um, you know, they, they, but they don't, there's as, as much as we like to think there's training for it. Sometimes I don't mm-hmm. think people even understand that they need to to learn how 
to manage people and to hire the right people around them. Yeah, I think also also another point, you know, just just echoing what you're saying around training is where do they get the time on top right. of managing? Yeah, because they're trying to run their business. Exactly, exactly. And this is why I think it's, you know, it's a it's a collaboration for everybody around you. For example, mm-hmm. if you've got a great leadership team and you're able to kind of retain a great leadership team, then you're going to naturally get some kind of peer coaching around that happens in the workplace. It's a mm-hmm. successful environment. It's a supportive um, support system. Mm-hmm. And so all of that comes into play and helps this entrepreneurial founder get the training that they want quite organically. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, I've also met as part of you know, as, as part of a couple of chapters in the book where mm-hmm. I call them the keen learners. They're very, very, very cognitively aware that mm-hmm. they have gaps mm-hmm. and they're using every moment and every opportunity they have to go and bridge those gaps, reaching out to mentors, getting advisors around them. And funnily enough, Times have absolutely changed. I remember when I first got into um, a startup, I would typically struggle. On a day-to-day basis, I would ask myself, where else would I get answers to the questions that I cannot answer? Where else can I get help? Can I get more mentors? And ever so often, I have to reach beyond the company Mm -hmm. to reach out to my network. And not everybody is willing to just Mm -hmm. lend you a helping hand. Let's be honest, right? Everybody's time is precious. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward about five, six years later, I am now typically, even as a founder coach, I am working with founders who were directly referred to me only because they needed two hours of my time Mm -hmm. to talk them through a very sensitive Mm -hmm. uh, situation Mm -hmm. or um, some of the typical uh, uh, situations in a company. So and more and more so we, you know, as a network of coaches as well, which which is quite natural for this to happen mm-hmm. in the network of advisors, we are now advisors that surround ourselves with founders who need help. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you now find entrepreneurs who are so open-minded and so mm-hmm. much more willing to just right. go, this is not my area of forte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask for help and mm-hmm. I'm going to get some help here. Other than that, I will focus my time on the things I'm actually mm-hmm. good at. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, Founders nowadays are getting training from left, right, center. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of whether or not they have the awareness that they need to make the first step. Right. right. You know, and it's funny because as, as the founder of a business, you know, we, we often do know, okay, we need to reach out in some areas. We're not an expert in marketing. I sent an email just yesterday to my tax attorney to say, I have these questions because I don't want to do that. I don't, you know, I know it has to be done. I'm not going to take the time to learn it. And that's why I pay her, Um, you know, and and so we're smart enough to reach out in those areas. But I think kind of learning, as we said, learning how to be that manager, that owner, that founder, we don't, don't recognize that, that there's even help out there, Um, you know, and and so that's great. First of all, that, that you provide that service. But I think one of the big things, and, and I mean, this is, is what you specifically address is the fact that. That person at the helm sets the tone for the business. They establish that culture. And I think so many businesses, business owners think just, no, we sell X, we do this, it's going to get done. And they don't understand what a culture is. So define that for us and, and talk about why that is so incredibly important. Yeah, sure. So culture really, by definition, is a collective of 
everybody's behavior in the company. It's how they respond to situations, Mm -hmm. how they emotionally process some decisions that needs to be made all the way from every employee level, all the way up to the top Mm -hmm. of the pyramid, which is the founders of the company. Mm -hmm. And so that essentially is what culture really is. It's your touch and feel as soon as you walk through the door, how people respond to each other, how people interact with each Mm -hmm. other, including how they interact with the outside market, right? Mm -hmm. So it typically also kind of, um, passes down to say you're in, you're a candidate that is being mm-hmm. interviewed as part of the hiring process. You should be able to kind of have a touch and feel of what the culture really feels like even before you join the company. So you can imagine how important this is already. Mm-hmm. Many, many people have this misperception that culture is just from within, right? It's how employees interact with each other and how managers treat their employees and how decisions are being made um, in an ivory tower ever so often. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it also implicates everybody that's outside. It's how your branding is being perceived. There are more and more you know, reviews out there and there are more and more resources out there for people before they join your company to be able to kind of go, is this the company I want to be part of? I, I look at, you know, it, it's as simple as searching for a hashtag in LinkedIn. You can immediately see all the posts that this company is being tagged onto. So automatically, you're able to start making a preemptive decision whether or not this is the right company for you to join. So this makes culture incredibly important for a company. And looking after it, just like what you're saying is how does the founder actually realize that they now need to be a good manager, right? And I think this comes from two, it's a twofold problem. Mm-hmm. One from the research that I've done in the in, for the book is founders actually thought that they just needed to be a leader and not right. a manager. So wrong, right? Leader, no matter how far up in the chain you are and how many people you have working for you, at the end of the day, you are effectively a manager. Mm-hmm. And becoming a great manager requires some hard skills. Mm-hmm. Back to the point that you were saying, right, Deb, that you don't want to do your taxes. And so therefore you pay someone to do that, but you automatically think about it that way because you think of it as a hard skill. This mm-hmm. is someone who has been trained professionally right to solve these problems Mm -hmm. for me so I can outsource them. Mm -hmm. But when we think about a great manager, these are also a main, main parts of it. It's 50%, um, it's 50% soft skills. So where do you learn? What's between your, your ears type of thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So how do you go and pay for someone to learn how I can be a better communicator? Mm -hmm. Do you give me a script? Do I get Mm -hmm. practicing in in an open speech? Mm -hmm. But I think all in all, this is why also coaching is now becoming more and more important for people Mm -hmm. to be able to learn and harness these soft skills. Right. Right. You know, and frequently you do need that outside person, you know, to to tell you sometimes the hard truths, Mm. you know, because for one thing, the, the employees don't always want to go up to the boss and say, hey, sure. dude, you suck. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. They could, but then the boss is going to say, pack, <laughs> right? Um, but when they've, they've brought in a consultant, the consultant is you know obviously going to phrase it much more nicely, but they can look at things and go, hmm, okay, I'm looking at, say, uh, you know, your your recent communications that you had, how did you do those? How did you handle those? What about say the last team meeting? You know, was it, and and obviously it, it, the, the, the key is every company has totally different cultures and some, you know, many, most, hopefully, you know, the, it, quite a few 
find what works for them. You know, some of them are very disciplined. Some of them are very loosey goosey, you know, all these things. And of course, COVID, holy schmoly, um, you know, that just totally threw everything out the, the window when we no longer, for, for in many cases, could go into the office. And so many people have now decided that they're going to work from home and, and work remotely. But yeah, having that person, that outside person come in and review things, that's where you're going to find, it's kind of like how you do an outside tax audit. You know, I don't know why yeah. I'm thinking of taxes, but um, you know, you want that outside viewpoint to really be what's going to tell you the truth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and funnily enough, that's actually one of my services. Mm-hmm. I would go into a company, I basically get parachuted into a company where they start to feel like, mm, is this too late for our culture change? Or there must be some kind of people issues that we kind of mm-hmm. feel like the people team or the HR team mm-hmm. isn't ready to quite figure it mm-hmm. out yet. So it's not to say that the the services I provide is to undermine the people team. Right. In, you can very easily be going in and saying, hey, you're doing things great. Exactly, exactly. But it's, I guess it's also coming from a sense of, is there something else that we're not doing good enough? Is there something else we can do more? And Mm -hmm. I, I, I get that these are the great conversations to be had, especially Mm -hmm. coming from a consulting perspective. So ever, very often I get parachuted in into a company and I look at a due diligence in a very typical way coming from a consulting background. I do a due diligence in a very typical way, but mainly on three things. Mm -hmm. One is their internal communication. Mm -hmm. Is it succinct? Is it transparent? Mm -hmm. Is it honest? Is it actually doing what it is meant to do to bring Mm -hmm. the culture together, Mm -hmm. right? Especially you're talking about this remote working um, best practices. You can't be expected to deliver the same amount of narrative and Mm -hmm. messaging in the Mm -hmm. right way as compared to delivering it to someone who's actually sitting right next to you because you can read their facial expression. Mm -hmm. You can read their body language. If you somehow feel like they're getting a bit puzzled, you Mm -hmm. go in and explain yourself more. But when you're doing it in a remote basis, Mm -hmm. and most of the time you don't do it on a one-to-one basis, Mm -hmm. especially when you have town halls, all Mm -hmm. hands, this kind of group meetings, it's with a bunch of people. So how Mm -hmm. can you tell? Mm -hmm. Right. So internal communications is one of those things that really have to be looked into. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, are the processes that you have created actually actually an enabler for Mm -hmm. the culture that you want to build? So very simple things, for example, if your process is a little bit all over the place, it's not robust enough, and it kind of cuts through a lot of decision making or not being able to make decisions from a data driven point of view, right, Mm -hmm. or not have enough touch points. And then at the same time, you call your culture to be transparent and honest. Mm -hmm. How does that work? You see how it's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so it's really important to kind of look into what are the basics that needs to be improved mm-hmm. and elevated, but it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to put it out there that whenever a founder thinks that they need to do something more for the culture, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that it's broken. Right. Or something's right. bad happening. Mm-hmm. Right. It just means that I genuinely want to create a much better mm-hmm. company, right? Mm-hmm. And I want people to feel a lot more enjoyable at their mm-hmm. jobs. Right. So, you know, from the leader's perspective, the, the, the founder, there's obviously some warning signs that are, are like real obvious. People are quitting. People are grumpy. People, you know, all those various things. But what are some more subtle signs that you might have a culture problem? Ah, good question. 
First things first is when you see little pockets of conflict and tension happening amongst people in mm-hmm. teams or amongst um, you know, managers and employees, mm-hmm. that you're not really getting a good sense of where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. It could vary. And whenever you don't have a good pulse of where this is coming from, it is typically behavioral. Mm-hmm. And whenever it's behavioral, it's directly related to culture. Mm-hmm. It's almost like your culture compass mm-hmm. is is moving all over the place right. and it's not sticking to one point. Mm-hmm. So that is when you would realize that you have a cultural problem that mm-hmm. needs to be, you know, kind of looked mm-hmm. into. Another thing would be when you find even founders, I lo- love to ask founders these questions um, uh, to themselves. Whenever they kind of start to feel that coming to work is no longer as fun as it mm-hmm. used to be mm-hmm. because the environment now is no longer as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And right. that is when and you it's never going to be a hundred percent fun, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. Correct. Because it could be very well that you're not enjoying the day to day anymore mm-hmm. as a founder. It's because maybe you know funding is a little bit more difficult given the current situation right. out there, mm-hmm. or you have really tough investors that you're just trying to grease, and you know it's getting a little bit difficult mm-hmm. and conflictive. But as soon as you take all of these external factors aside, mm-hmm. and when you come to work, you feel like the conversation I'm having with my team is no longer as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have a sense of why I feel like there mm-hmm. is a sense of unhappiness mm-hmm. and discontentment in the room. Mm-hmm. And this is when you start to feel that mm-hmm. your day-to-day is not as enjoyable. So mm-hmm. these are the two main things that I will mm-hmm. always ask people to look out for mm-hmm. before it becomes detrimental. Right. You know, and it's funny, companies don't understand how intuitive, maybe is the right word, their employees are. You know, they think, right. oh, they're just doing their job, whatever. Um, I worked for a large financial company and we, and I handled employee communications for four businesses that were in one location. We merged with other big companies, as happens when you have things like that, then you have layoffs, right? Because you've got multiples of everything. And our senior management, didn't understand just what was, you know, what, you know, what the undercurrent was that was going on. And part of it was they didn't know either. You know, they didn't know, were we going to have big layoffs? Were businesses closing? I mean, all these things. And of course, you know, if there's a vacuum, we fill it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so if we don't get the information, we make it up and usually we make it up bad. So, you know, like examples that we had were, you know, you know, I mentioned, I was the, the, you know, head of communications, which meant I was on the phone a lot. Well, we lived in cubicle land. And all of a sudden, I had walls that went all the way to the ceiling and a door. <laughs> you know? And, you know, so it was really weird because there I was in cubicle. It was like I was living in an elevator, right? Because it was just, but, you know, when, when that happened, people were like, okay, what is, who is she talking to? What are they talking about? Oh, her door's closed again. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and then we also had a culture where every person's calendar could be viewed, made it really easy when you're trying to schedule meetings, you know, and all this uh, stuff you'd go, uh, even the CEO, you know, you could just go and look and go, oh, you know, he's free here. I can, I can do this. Um, and, but when, you know, all of the HR people, all of a sudden their calendars could not be seen. You know, <laughs> That was another really big red flag to employees. And when we tried to tell them, okay, you know, we understand why you're doing this, but you need to understand what people are saying when they're getting coffee, when they're in the halls, all those various things. And they didn't pay any attention to us and then had all sorts of issues. 
Of course. I mean, I mean, because they've got other pressing things to think about, right? As a, as a leadership, you know, in a leadership team, it's very, very natural. We were picking Um, who was going to lose their jobs. I mean, it was, that was horrible. Right. You've got more pressing things to worry about. And that's very, very natural, Mm -hmm. but it is so important. This is when, this is when I say internal communication could very well be the one thing that actually makes or break a culture most of the time, Mm -hmm. because well, if you think about, you know, the various situation that you were in, mm-hmm. suddenly people are feeling fearful mm-hmm. um, for losing their jobs. They're mm-hmm. feeling insecure about mm-hmm. the position that they're in. They're starting to make up, filling out this white mm-hmm. spaces with whatever they can right. preempt about, right? And so if we never address that, if the company actually never addressed them and still put it at the very bottom of those, uh, of, of the rank of priorities, mm-hmm. what happens is, this very people that you were initially mm-hmm. worried about becomes a flux of exodus, mm-hmm. right? People are leaving because mm-hmm. of that very reason. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing as well that I also hope um, more and more, you know, HR teams <laughs> are picking this up and really try and have a look at re-engineering the way they do offboarding right now. Right. You know, I've been in so many companies where the typical reasons for leaving are career progression this person's mm-hmm. leaving moving on because they've right. already found a new job but actually hold on a minute if you really dig deeper into it you know that they only started to look for a new job because the culture here is no longer tolerable right so therefore you're getting these fake data this superficial mm-hmm. data for you to never really address mm-hmm. the problem right. so you see how it comes hand mm-hmm. in hand it's almost like it's a vicious cycle mm-hmm. if leadership doesn't care Mm-hmm. HR teams doesn't do the proactive work mm-hmm. to actually dig a little bit deeper and take the initiative mm-hmm. to do so. It feeds itself. Mm-hmm. So that loop never closes. Right. You know, and we discovered when we were dealing with the process that, like I said, there was that vacuum. And when we told mm-hmm. people, we don't know, we don't have answers, we'll get them for you as soon as we can. That alleviated an awful lot because I think, um, and now we had to be truthful about it, right? You know, and that was the other thing was so many times, you know, you're hiding and, and it didn't help. I mean, this is a, an extremely large company publicly traded. So, you know, there were all sorts of other issues that tied into this and, and clearly private companies have different, you know, they, they don't have quite as many constraints, but, you know, we, they, we also, you know, it's just that, that level of trust. And, and if they knew that we really didn't know, but we would tell them and they believe that then that was mm-hmm. okay. They stopped the making up cycle. But if we yeah. told them, well, we really don't know, but they thought, yes, you do, you know, then we completely lost their trust. And once you've lost that trust, you can't get it back. It, exactly. So recently in LinkedIn, there has been an article that's been floating around, or was it a post? I forgot now. They specifically say, when a culture is great, mm-hmm. They say thanks to the CEO. Right. When a culture is bad, mm-hmm. it is all HR's fault. Mm-hmm. You see so how what are you doing or not doing? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like HR is ultimately the people who are responsible mm-hmm. for building a great. Sorry, not responsible for building mm-hmm. a great culture, but is responsible for taking a culture mm-hmm. down. Right. It, it's it's just silly when you listen, when you read that sentence, mm-hmm. right? Even not not just from a perspective mm-hmm. that I have been on the front seat mm-hmm. of this of this particular profession, mm-hmm. but also when you listen to that sentence, how ridiculous it actually sounds. Right. Because how is the person very how is the very person responsible for building it is not the person that's actually responsible right. for yeah. Yeah, you because know, HR is taking the direction from that person. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, and 
in your book, and again, I love this. It was great. It's it's a it's examples. It's not a how to. It's examples of what these personalities have, and and I just found it fascinating because it was showing that you know if you have a person who is say a micromanager, if you're a micromanager and you own the company, then that that really does affect everything. If yeah. you're um, you know, unfortunately, we've all had the icky, nasty bosses and owners, right? You know, yeah. you you had some pretty good examples in your book. I had, uh, when I was first starting my career, I worked for a gentleman who was, you just looked at him and you knew he was a deeply unhappy man. Uh, Therefore, <laughs> he was going to yes, make our I'll lives unhappy, you. right? For sure. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I remember I went into him and I was young. I was, you know, early 20s when I was working for him. And he, you know, this, and this is long enough ago, it's probably before you were born, (laughs) but, you know, and, and so things were a little bit different then, but he liked to use bad language, (laughs) you know, and I mean, we all say things, you know, in, in the workplace, you know, and, and, and depending on where you are, you know, it, it, a little more, a little less. And And again, depending on the culture, I mean, you know, there are things, but he used it in a derogatory way. You know, it was, he was, he was not having fun with it, you know, and, and all those things he was using it to, to be nasty. Yeah. And I went into him one time after I'd heard him be incredibly nasty with someone. And I said, you know, and I was his office manager. So, you know, he, he, you know, he knew that I had an awful lot of control over what was going on. And I told him, I said, you get to call me the B word once. Mm. And I said, the second time I own your company. And he just kind of looked at me and brushed me off and oh, ha, 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 you know, and, and, and then, you know, further down the road, he had one of his tirades and, you know, and, and, and he called me that word. And all mm. I did was hold a finger up and he, you know, and, and so I indicated the number one, yeah. I held up, not the middle finger that, you know, that, you know. Um, and, but, you know, and, and, and he immediately realized what he had done. Oops, I just made my camera get real squirrely. You know, it doesn't like it sometimes <laughs> when I move. Um, and so he immediately knew that he had screwed up and he apologized. But I also knew, and, and you talk about this in your book. I'm going to see if I can get my camera to refocus. There we go. Uh, oh. I don't know why it does that. It's very strange. But, um, it, you know, it, when we, we, all, we know almost right away, when we start working for a company, we mm. pick up on that, right? You know, and, and we know this is, I probably shouldn't have done this. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and, but we all think I can live with it. I can fix it. I right. I can fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's really not as bad as we think. And, and that was one of those jobs where I actually stayed for several years, but I was miserable the entire yeah. time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, where a, a founder, a president, whoever of the company doesn't realize what they are doing to harm their own company. For sure, for sure. And it comes down to, you know, we talk about culture, but ultimately it's also how harmful it is to your employees' mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of people, especially in the startup space, it's not as forgiving Mm -hmm. um, because it is, you know, there's this saying, there's this party line, let's put it this way, that a startup is incredibly 
challenging, but it's also very rewarding, right? right? If you, you if you look at everything that you can benefit from, and you're like, Correct. yeah, right, mm-hmm. Correct. But then it also kind of goes like, do you have to reach a certain age of maturity for for you to not be excusing these kind of behaviors anymore? So I. I, I tell the story in my book based on my own personal experience. I have obviously, you know, been in the startup space for a long time mm-hmm. now. And in the early stages of my career, I was making excuses for these bad behaviors. Right. Not only that I have the front seat of being as part of the HR and, you know, mm-hmm. a partner in tandem with the CEOs and the founders that I was working with, mm-hmm. I was typically also part of the problem because I would be giving them excuses to right. behave. We them. let them get away with it. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, I would think for myself selfishly, oh, it's a great career. I'm getting Mm -hmm. a lot of exposure that I otherwise Mm -hmm. would not have in, say, a different company. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I never truly realized that there was one company that it obviously burnt me out at the end of the um, at the end of the tenure. Mm -hmm. And I was there for quite some time. And it it basically burnt out my mental health. And it took me a good couple of years before I can kind of like be not be carrying that kind of trauma anymore. You know, when there's a small flicker of behavior and you know, ah, that's bad news, right? Instead of making me incredibly aware and cognitive, it actually kind of built on a layer of fear for me that I will not be able to trust the next employer. So I was carrying this baggage for a little while. But then at the end of the day, also, once I've gotten past of my own trauma and I've gotten better and better at managing it and have finally seen it as a glass half full, obviously with the with the help of my therapist and my mm-hmm. coach, mm-hmm. I finally then also looked back and realized because I was making excuses for those bad behaviors, the very people who then joined after me was going through the exact same right. thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was carrying this, you know, this incredible um, feeling of guilt that if mm-hmm. I had just stood up for myself mm-hmm. and if I had just called out that behavior, mm-hmm. maybe this wouldn't happen to, mm-hmm. in today's age. And especially because the company has grown much bigger mm-hmm. and they're still, you know, they still exist, especially, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when it's in a startup, sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of go, yeah, I'll, I'll brush it off because in four years time, yeah, they it's won't. not going to matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But then I finally, I got to a point to realize that it didn't matter if the company didn't exist four years down the line the very founder will still exist. They will go Mm -hmm. on and build more companies Mm -hmm. and they will continue to create Mm -hmm. a multitude of these bad Mm -hmm. behaviors and cultures that is incredibly Mm -hmm. toxic for for employees. And so for me, learning from that experience was so so much more rewarding, to be Mm -hmm. honest, than Mm -hmm. to have joined a startup, right? Mm -hmm. You you almost go, yeah, if if I had just stood up for myself, this wouldn't be still be happening today. And, you know, on, on one hand, you feel incredibly guilty, but then on the other hand, you also go, can I help everyone? Mm-hmm. Can I save everyone? Right. Not eh. truly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Right. You know, and, and let's be honest, I think women have this even more, um, yeah. you know, and, and in this day and age, we still have a lot of issues in the workplace, um, you know, and, and I've, I've been fortunate that I've never had anything terribly serious. But we we all know that there are times where we should have said, uh-uh, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 if not for ourselves, for the people who came after us, men and women, and um, you know, and 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 you know, you do a lot of of, you know, as I mentioned in your bio, uh, DEI work. And and so, you know, are we making sure that anyone who comes after us 
is going to be treated fairly and and honestly and with respect. Um, you know, and even if it's just things like the the jokes around the coffee maker that you know aren't aren't you know they might be a little off color or yeah. a little negative towards somebody. Um, you know, or and you know we just yeah I mean we we need to to but it is scary. I mean because when you stand up and say that's not acceptable, I mean you really are risking losing your job. For but sure, as you said, the long term feelings of guilt that go along with that it's you know we have to and 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 sometimes you can't you can't step up i mean you know look, there are just times where where no um but yeah it is it's a very complicated process now um to to make sure and and there are obviously so many companies who get it right and more importantly so many companies who want to get it right um you know and and so you know you you see the manager the boss the whoever saying hey you know Let's let's not have those jokes. Let's you know all of those various things, um, you know. And and it's just and part of it is they know. Okay, this is a pretty open world anymore. You know? sure. We're gonna get trashed on social media or all of those various things. So let's let's just do it right to start with. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think DEI is another you know whole level of like topic to obviously talk about and 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 especially coming from like the tech space as well when there's so much more minorities right Mm -hmm. right and it becomes something that we evidently need to be progressively working towards bridging those gaps Mm -hmm. and i think given given the fact that you know it is the tech space Mm -hmm. and on one hand it is incredibly bullish of what they believe is already the right thing um that they have done and Mm -hmm. the legacies but on the other hand there is so much more forgiving and which Mm -hmm. means there are there are more opportunities for us mm-hmm. to actually do better and mm-hmm. do better in a faster pace. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you know, I, I obviously work in this space and I really champion this space, but I also kind of feel like when I wouldn't have been able to get so much traction if I were I wasn't in the tech space. So on, on one hand, I am very, very grateful that there are so many sponsors. Mm-hmm. People really want to do the right thing. Exactly like what you were saying earlier is, they know this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. They're just waiting for the right moment. So mm-hmm. at least you're not bringing this legacy of mind change. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's just making sure that you're creating the platform for them mm-hmm. to take that opportunity to change. Right, right. You know, in your book, you talk about how part of the the um, challenges in in positive ways are the 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 all of the multi generational you know and, and what each expectation is you know i'm a baby boomer and i really was taught shh don't 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 upset things just go along with it'll be okay um you know and and all of the, now the nice thing is you know my my mother is one of those really strong people who said no you don't you know and and i always knew that was not you know if it was unacceptable behavior it was unacceptable behavior and i mean i you know there've been times where i've been poked, pinched, and I've retaliated. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I had a, a guy one time who, uh, and I swear it was just because he couldn't remember my name, uh-huh. always called me sweetie. Now, Deb is not a hard name to remember. And I was the only woman in the office. Um, you know, so <laughs> it was like, really, but he always just called me sweetie. And so I started when, you know, be, and, and I, you know, first of all, I wouldn't respond and, you know, I'm sorry, that's not my name. Um, but I started started calling him Honey Bunch, 
And he finally got the the point that Sweetie was not acceptable. Not mm-hmm. um, you know, now, should I have just gone to the CEO who I just thought the world of and said, Bob, tell him to stop calling me Sweetie? Probably. <laughs> you know, that was probably. But, you know, it was, but yeah, my generation was, nah, you know, don't, don't rock that boat. And then, you know, we, we have the millennials, we have Gen X, Gen Z, and each have different expectations of what the workplace and work culture should be. So how do you deal with, especially now, you know, like you were saying, tech, more than likely, you're going to have a lot of younger people there, you know, there's, you know, and, and so that's going to be very different. But depending on some of the, I was talking to somebody the other day, and she was in a tech company. And she said, I'm 40. And I'm the oldest person there by a long shot. And what she talked to me about, she said, I can't socialize with them. You know, we're not friends. Mm. She said, because in some cases, I am older than their parents. Um, So how do you deal with all of that and, and culture? See, that's interesting because what your friend was really describing to you isn't really about her age. It's mm-hmm. just about the fact that she wasn't right. a true it was the culture. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this is what we really need to be focusing on, mm-hmm. right? How can we make this culture a lot more sustainable, mm-hmm. but at the same time, a lot more open to people is when is when you have very robust frameworks in a mm-hmm. in a company. Let's not talk about, oh, a company doesn't really need to hit a maturity stage of having mm-hmm. a process-driven mm-hmm. company until they're like 50 people because mm-hmm. it impacts more lives. Right. So while we're still under 50, we can just mm-hmm. do whatever we want. We can do want. what we want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We can communicate mm-hmm. however we want until something bad happens. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the way they react to these right. problems, mm-hmm. right? But actually, if you think about it, it's exactly what I was describing in the book is it's not about talk. It's not really talking about people's age difference or what kind of you know paradigm they come from. It's really just respecting that every single person is different. And so therefore, they have their different ones and their different expectations. How do we now align them as a company? We do have to remember that. Um in the older generation, people know for a very, very fact that there is a split between, there's a hard split between mm-hmm. personal and mm-hmm. professional life. Right. And then along the generations, along the those mm-hmm. years, we get them so muddled that we now think professional and professional mm-hmm. and personal life right. are exactly the same because mm-hmm. you spent so much time at work. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly this new term of talking about we need work-life integration. Well, mm-hmm. hold on a minute. I There's thought, no balance. I tell people exactly. no, because that's 50-50, right? That's exactly. not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. But also, it's not a new term that we just throw around because suddenly over the years, we've decided to do mm-hmm. something different and combine them together. Mm-hmm. And so what's really important, right, is to create the kind, the right kind of processes and framework that will allow and creates a platform that is mm-hmm. equitable for every single person, right. regardless their age, regardless mm-hmm. their background, mm-hmm. regardless of anything. Mm-hmm. So a good example would be, is social really needed as part of um, your progression mm-hmm. in the company? That's the first mm-hmm. question to ask, mm-hmm. right? If I was feeling quite left out and feeling like, oh, maybe I'm the older one in the room and I cannot mm-hmm. really Everybody else is going out on Friday. The Netflix and- series that they're watching. And so I'm not watching it. So I'm not really part of the water cooler uh, discussion. Right. Hold mm-hmm. on a minute. As a leader of the company, I should really have an emphasis to think about is the water cooler discussion actually going to get me anywhere or mm-hmm. is actually going to be detrimental to my employees' right. performance? Right. That is so a way for people to bond. Correct. But as you said, it's also a way for people to be left out. 
Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So then you go back to the basics, just like every HR would do. Go back to the basics and go, let's not, that. there's no need to re-engineer this. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Every company, regardless what size, needs a clear, transparent, Mm -hmm. and honest performance management framework. Mm -hmm. Then we go back to basics, right? right? I think it's just this whole excuse that we give each other. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, the startups are a lot more fun because people are younger. Mm -hmm. I'm sometimes the older one in the room. So Mm -hmm. does it mean I don't have as much fun? Well, I will tell you that I have just as much fun. Right. right. But you also have a family. And, you know, so, yeah, you know, you might not be going out on Fridays with them, but maybe the softball league you're going to do. For sure. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and obviously COVID changed a lot of that because especially for the first six-ish months, um, you know, and it was different in, in every country, but, you know, especially where we were, uh, where, you know, on Friday, everything was fine. And on Monday, you were working from home and, mm-hmm. oh gosh, there your kids are and hmm, all these various things. And so businesses had to figure out very quickly how to really do that integration. You know, I, you know, I, People knowing, okay, you know, my employees now have kids that they are having to homeschool. So mm-hmm. I can't expect them to be, you know, 100% at 10 a.m., 10 p.m., maybe, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and so all, I think it was, it was very interesting. And, and the companies who did it very successful are still doing it. The companies Correct. who had problems said, nope, you got to come back into the office. For um, sure. You know, and, and I think because people, Loved having that integration. Those are the people who said, no, we're not going back. Sorry. Yeah. And it's also a temporary thing. This is Mm -hmm. the problem, right? When the pandemic hit, some Mm -hmm. of these companies, like you said, that they're not doing so well and they're now gone Mm -hmm. back to, you know, um, uh, face-to-face and going back into the office, Mm -hmm. which then received a huge backlash. Mm -hmm. And so then they would have probably lost a flux of employees as well. Mm -hmm. They're probably really talented Mm -hmm. out to their competitors who are Mm -hmm. a lot more adaptable than they Mm -hmm. are. And so when you look at situations like this, you just kind of go, well, why did you think this was a temporary solution? Mm-hmm. Because this is this is where I find it quite bizarre, right? This, the fact that we are constantly talking about the future of work, mm-hmm. it's not a word that, it's not a term that I made up, let's mm-hmm. be honest. It is out there. We've been talking about it for mm-hmm. years. But then we still ironically think that this was going to just be a temporary situation. Right. Here in the, the States, we were told two weeks and we all went, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and it's it's one of those things that has it's you know, I I think a lot of what happened was probably going to happen anyway. It was just COVID went, oh hey, we have to do this right now. Um, you know, and and so it's been interesting just to see how companies have adapted. Um, you know, and 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 the culture is obviously the biggest part of that because Sure, it's great to work from home, to never have to commute. Oi, um, to, to I tell people I don't have to wear shoes, uh, you know, and and all of these things. But there is so much that happens when you're all together in one space. Yeah, you know, at the coffee maker, you're able to pop into somebody's office really quick, you know, and and just ask questions. And we, you know, and and. And whether it's business related or, oh my gosh, did you see who just won the World Series? That happened here yesterday. Um, you know, and, and all of those things. And, but, and that helps build that family, you know, and, yeah. and that's a big part of culture is, as we said, you know, are you feeling accepted? And if everybody mm-hmm. is in offices all over everywhere, 
that's a very big challenge for companies to 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 get through. Yeah, I think I think the 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 key there is where we call things we tend to prehistorically look at culture as a family gathering. Mm-hmm. Right. But on the on the other hand, we are trying our very best to break this family bond mm-hmm. because it creates right. codependency. Mm-hmm. And it is also this very family-oriented culture that actually do not create inclusivity. So it's a very thing that we're talking about right Mm -hmm. now where people used to be very close together and then suddenly you you get one new person who's joined the company Mm -hmm. and they were hired during the pandemic. And so therefore they have landed into the company without having to be, without having built those Mm -hmm. personal relationships yet. And so suddenly this ivory tower starts creating itself and then more and more mm-hmm. new joiners will join that. And then they end up creating a subculture by themselves mm-hmm. because they need, they knew that they needed to thrive mm-hmm. by, they needed to thrive together mm-hmm. with the same subset of expectations. Mm-hmm. So this is another thing where the pandemic has actually helped mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, now yeah. talking about why wouldn't I feel belong when I've just joined the company? Because hold on a minute, when we do a deep dive, we realize that the people were closer knitted together before because they were in one location, they were forced to be there on a daily basis. And so therefore, they were forced to have these small talks, mm-hmm. right, that they thought were going mm-hmm. to be helpful right. for their career progression. Mm-hmm. So recently, I've done an interview with Work Life around is small talk actually important to mm-hmm. drive your career? Right. The very verdict is it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. But Even though people were thinking, it. you know, you're in the office, so you can chat up the boss. So Correct. you're going to get the promotion, right? Correct. And I'm not in the office. Yeah. You know, good bosses. But mm-hmm. Yeah, but care. presence. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But presence is 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 not just because you have to be physical. The very definition of presence just simply mean you are heard. Right. And you are seen. Mm-hmm. There's no difference from being seen over Zoom mm-hmm. and being heard over Zoom. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we're we're now starting to come back to basics where, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, I, on one hand, I'm furious about the pandemic happening. But on the other hand, I've actually seen it progress future of work even further. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and because I, you know, like we said, remote working was coming whether, you know, whether companies liked it or not, you know, and, and so it just got kind of forced on us a little bit sooner, but the managers, business owners, whoever, who really thrived were the people who knew I have to communicate with folks, you know, I, whether it's, I'm on zoom every morning. Hi, how are you? Just touching base, um, you know, or, you know, able to be on the various, you know, if you're in a, a larger company or, you know, a tech company that's got the, the cool tools and toys, Mm-hmm. You know, to, to be able to, you know, immediately have a, a video conversation with somebody, you know, all of these various things. I think companies that that survived and thrived figured out it really was that communication. You know, they had to keep telling their employees, you matter to us. Yeah. And it has to be intentional. There is no shortcut around this, right? You want people to feel happy at the workplace mm-hmm. that you are building. You have to be intentional in building the right workplace. Mm-hmm. You want p- your teams to know exactly what you're thinking. You have mm-hmm. to be intentional as a manager to communicate it as mm-hmm. transparently and as effective as possible. Mm-hmm. So it all comes down to intention, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, we're really talking about translating what used to happen on a mm-hmm. face-to-face basis mm-hmm. and then convert 
converting it into a mm-hmm. digital mode, right. but it doesn't mean that it's going to lose its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. It simply means that let's not start being lazy, mm-hmm. right? And start changing the way we talk to each other. Right. Maybe I can imagine, you know, I have a manager who used to just tap on my tap on my shoulder and be like, mm-hmm. did you catch football last night? Did you mm-hmm. catch the match last night? Totally mm-hmm. fine. And then you have mm-hmm. a quick chit chat. Right. There's no difference in the there's no difference in the tech world where I just go, did you catch the bake-off yesterday? By right. the way, how good mm-hmm. was that cake? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It is the same as translating it into a type. Or if mm-hmm. not, you can go jump onto quick chat, question mark, like me and my team, we go quick chat, question mark. It doesn't mean that they need to be fearful that a manager is asking for a quick chat, mm-hmm. almost quite um impromptu. Mm-hmm. But this is basically just saying, hey, I just watched the movie last mm-hmm. night. I just want to tell, mm-hmm. tell you about it because I know it's one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. So let's have a chat about mm-hmm. it. And that's totally okay as mm-hmm. well. But mm-hmm. as soon as companies or these employ- uh, employers going into a digital mode, and not really embracing a digital mm-hmm. life right. style. Yeah, the, the, the ones that said, I don't like doing Zoom. I look bad on Zoom. Well, too bad. <laughs> or maybe ask the question, what made you think you look better in real life? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Maybe not to your manager, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. it's it's the same kind of thing that goes into mm-hmm. reverse. And you think, mm-hmm. oh, maybe you didn't look that good in real life either. Right. right. It's easily transferable. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and and again, the 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 people at the top set the tone. You know, if, if you're accessible during the work day, night, weekend, whatever, um, you know, and, and obviously you have to have boundaries, but you know, if you are accessible as that leader, then that flows down, you know, and it's, it's, you know, kind of like the old open door policy, you know, Mm. if people know they can pop in at any point in time, then most of the time they don't, right? Yeah. You know, it's only if there's something big that's going on. And and I think that's one of the things people fret about is they're like, well, I'm just going to be so inundated with people coming in. I'm not going to be able to work. No, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. They're going to come in. Now they might come in to say, hey, did you catch the football game yesterday? Yeah. But then they also might say, hey, I've got this great idea for a new product or, you know, things like that. Um, but they're, they're not going to do the pop in, you know, to, to take advantage. Same thing with, you know, digital, you know, they're not going to be just constantly pinging at you to say, can I have a minute? Can I have a minute? People are adults. (laughs) And when we treat them like that, then they'll act that way. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. You know, and it's it, it's so much fun to to be talking about this. And the funny thing is, of course, you know, I I have not been in an, a true office environment for twenty years. Um, mm. You know, I've I've been home based, but I see what's going on. Um, you know, and 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 no matter we all have our teams of people. You know, even as somebody who who works, you know, independently, we've got our teams. And there's also you know the. All of this pertains to families, to, you know, volunteer groups, all of those various things, um, you know, and, and, uh, and we see, you know, what happens in the, you know, when, when catastrophic things happen, um, you know, we have to have you back on at some point, to talk about Twitter, um, just, <laughs> just, just to see, I mean, I saw the thing the other day, so they laid off what 75% on Friday yeah. as we're recording this and the headline today was, oops, now they need to start hiring back. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, and and, I mean, and we, we see that happen, right? You know, you have a merger and you have to reapply for your job Mm. that, that happens, you know, Um, but, but of course I'm thinking if I were one of those people, I would either, you know, have said, heck no, you know, go away. Or I would have said, you need me back that much. We're going to, you're going to make it worth my while. 
for um, sure, you know, and, and things like that. But, um, but yeah, so, so we will definitely have you on again, but, you know, Sophie, you've got this great book, um, you know, and, and then you do have, you know, other ways that you can help people. So tell people how they connect with you and what are the services that you provide? Sure. Um, I am easily found on www.sophiethene.com, just my first and last name. And I typically do founder coaching. So mm-hmm. if you're a founder or an aspiring entrepreneur that's starting out um, a businesses and really care about wanting to get some kind of coaching or at least get some first steps in to building a great culture, becoming a great manager, or you just want a sparring partner. And this is typically what I work with, especially when it comes to founders of a company. Other than that, I obviously professionally is a uh, HR advisor for startups um, as well. So I do go in and kind of do kind of like a tiger squad kind of thing. I do have a team together with me where we will help you with, for example, in this very current um, situation is can I can can my team help you make redundancies a lot more humane mm-hmm. than you initially think it is? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely one of those services that we provide as a team from a HR perspective and HR consulting. But other than that, I'm a all-in-all coach. Great. I love it. And again, your book is called The Soul of Startups, The Untold Stories of How Founders Affect Culture. And yeah, the funny part is I was reading it was every single one of those examples, I knew somebody right right you know we're all like oh that was bob that was sue that was you know hopefully not that was me but there were good examples in there too you know this is not hey this is horrible and awful because we all have great examples right um you know where we thought these this is the greatest place in the world to be um you know and and so that's you know that's that's where it's it's really a good thing um because yeah you know that's like we said at the very start People start businesses for, you know, they they really want to make the world a better place, um, you know, and, and they don't want their employees to be miserable because they honestly or should realize your employees, it's kind of like happy wife, happy life, mm-hmm. right? Happy employees, happy clients. <laughs> you know? um, and, and so when your employees are happy and feel respected and all of those other very positive terms that they should be, it's going to reflect with how they work with people. For sure. Well, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Um, well, I think my final thought is really just to, you know, put it out there. My message to founders and entrepreneurs is don't take it upon yourself to build great businesses all on your own. Definitely, you know, raise your hand, reach out for help wherever you can, because collectively, I think we can build great businesses. If you're on your own, it's very, very tough. I love it. I love it. Well, we obviously have to have you on again because this is a problem that's not going away. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, it's it's a problem that can be solved. For and sure. That we need to be solving because we have to have you know happy em- employees, or we're not going to have a business. Um, you know, and as that business founder owner, we want that, right? You know, we don't want the constant churn, and and we want to know that our employees, for the most part, get up every day and go, "I love my job." I really Absolutely. love what I do. Um, you know, there are days where they're going to, but you know, um, we really do want to know that they want to be there just as much as we want them to be there. Um, exactly. So, so, yeah, so we will have you on again. <clears throat> but until then, I'm Deb Creer. I've been having a great conversation with Sophie Thien. And until next time, everyone have a great day.
Thanks for having me. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.